0: Pushing the boundaries of innovation often requires testing the limits of today's technologies. That's where R&D Test Systems comes in. For over 15 years, this leading test equipment developer has provided cutting-edge testing technology to help wind energy companies launch the next generation of products. From their powertrain test benches to their rain erosion test facilities, R&D Test Systems has built an impressive array of testing capabilities. Their expertise allows clients to validate designs, benchmark performance, troubleshoot issues, and certify products for safety and standards compliance. On the special episode of the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast, Joel Saxon and I will be talking with Klaus Beck, Chief Engineer at R&D Test Systems, about the amazing technology they have created and have in their development pipeline. Klaus, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks a lot, Alan and Joel. Well, the, the wind industry has
0: a massive problem ahead. Uh, as I see it, uh, as wind turbine sizes continue to scale exponentially, there appears to be limited ways to test this equipment to demonstrate lifetimes and most recently we've we've seen some OEMs announce this that they have issues with thoroughly testing complete systems uh, before they get placed in service. Uh, are you seeing some of these same issues and and what are you hearing from the test equipment side?
1: yeah, so it's it's uh, of course something we hear of uh, that the uh, There are difficulties uh, in this uh, field. And uh, because of the cost of taking a turbine down uh, in the wind field or in an offshore, uh, uh, let's say, platform, then uh, that would uh, create a lot of cost. And because of that, then you need to test. Um, And that's also uh, really uh, a focus point for for all uh, big OEMs that we are dealing with.
0: Yeah, it does seem like as the offshore wind turbine sizes have grown so fast where we've gone from, even, even, even during the development phases, we've gone from like a 10 megawatt machine to now we're talking about upwards of 20, maybe 22 megawatt machines. Uh, that's a huge issue because I think as we've even on blade sizes, and you guys do work with blades also, the blade lengths have, the new blade lengths have created issues that they have might may not have seen before. So there's some unknowns out there until you actually test something as massive as a 20-megawatt machine. And, and does that, how does that drive you? I mean, what are your thoughts when you see a new announcement of, of a, a 22 megawatt machine. What, what are you thinking about that? As as these new machines are announced,
1: yeah. So called, it calls it implies a lot of difficulties when you scale in this speed, which is the wind industry is, is doing. So uh, that that causes some difficulties. You uh, there's a lot of scaling laws normally when you design stuff, but these does not always apply, and you have a lot of failure modes which change. Uh, when you scale uh, to these sizes. So that's why we do uh, these tests in order to predict and and find, you can say, the errors before you go on a, on a wind farm um,
2: with your turbines. One of the difficult things there we talked about uh, off air was the fact that you guys are designing the test equipment that needs to be built for things that don't exist, right? So it's like uh, we've got to figure out how to build a test bench for something that has never been built before, but we're building the thing that's actually going to test the thing that's never been built before. So you guys have to really be on the ball.
1: When we use bearings and all kind of uh, equipment, like big engines and so on, then they are driven by many times it's driven by uh, the wind industry, much of this technology, but the problem becomes uh, a little bit, uh, uh, and, and a big one when uh, the components are not developed yet because when we need to fatigue a bearing arrangement or a big generator, then we need something more, a larger piece of equipment than it's to be tested. And in order to do that, we need to develop, you can say, the big system. So always we are kind of put to the limit with these systems. So bearing arrangements are developed, uh, of course, based on a lot of experience and technologies uh, within uh, bearing companies, but we always need to push the boundaries and limits uh, on many of these. So everything from uh, bearings, big uh, steel shaft of uh, several hundred tons. um, So it creates a lot of uh, difficulties, both in engineering, you can say, but also in logistics same uh, problems the wind industry is facing when you need to transport these components. So in many cases, we also uh, need to, let's say, separate components into something where it's we can transport it because it's just not doable. So
0: in, in terms of uh, the technology and the development you're in, uh, the OEMs and the large component manufacturers have a need. They have an immediate need to evaluate their components. So I think they're going to be driven more and more to demonstrate lifetimes, particularly in light of some of the things that happened over the last 12 months. Uh, and they have to be coming to you for solutions to that. How, how, big a, well, how big of a team do you have, first off, in terms of the engineering staff and, and machinists and technicians?
1: Yeah, so you can say in, in R&D, we are around 200 uh, people, whereas I think around 170 of them are engineers. And uh, the largest portion of this is uh, related directly into developing new uh, test benches. So so currently, we are doing a large test bench for ZF wind power in Belgium, uh, also a validation test, um, where we uh, I think we were at maximum around 40 people uh, at the uh, uh, engineering peak, you can say. So, of course, uh, it's always scaled up and down uh, uh, towards uh, when you had the needs for for a lot of things to uh, go through uh, <laughs> engineering. And then uh, when things are, are settling, then uh, you can uh, uh, reduce the amount of people.
0: Well, it's an interesting problem to have, right? Because there is a huge demand for bigger g- generators and turbines and equipment and where the OEMs can't man those, they can't support having a separate test division. Most of them can't do that. It's not cost efficient for them to do that. They need to outsource it to someone who's knowledgeable and has an innovative as R&D test systems. Does that then just because of all the new development and the push for larger turbines, just bring a lot of demand at your doorstep to, to deal with
1: yeah it, it's of course uh, bringing a lot of demands and uh, that's why we need to to stay uh, uh, yeah ahead of all this and try to also uh, think of new solutions that could maybe gain uh, a good uh, solution for for a lot of uh, our customers but you can say by by we have a lot of experience for a lot of uh, customers but of course we are not allowed to share the technologies and, and inputs and we are not doing that of course but we will gather a lot of uh, uh, let's say um, uh good ideas on how to do smart stuff on our test benches which uh, of course all our customers gain from so that's also what you when you you uh, work with us you also get this and uh, you can say so that's one of the good things about using a third party company like us or you let not an internal division so we are working with both so uh, most of companies have internal divisions maybe we we help scale uh, these divisions or we work together in uh, in a combined uh, let's say uh, yeah uh, engineering uh, <laughs> effort to to find the solutions together
2: i think one of the important things to touch on there as well is uh, if you are say an, an end user if i am XYZ wind company and I'm choosing between two OEMs and one OEM, and this is just my brain, right? If one OEM tested the equipment they sell, they say, hey, we tested our blades. Someone else might have certified them based on drawings and, and process and whatnot, but we tested our blades and how so they're good. Or I have another company that's like, hey, we also have this third-party expertise build our test bench and they put us through the ringer to make sure that our things work well. And then someone else certified them too. Well, that to me is like, well, all right, then you're avoiding some kind of internal nepotism if you have someone else building your test rigs and, you know, helping people along through that process of the actual testing. So that that's a, a value add, in my opinion, to any outside engineering client. And uh,
1: in general, you could say the window OEM would also uh, have a better, let's say, value of their, their turbine if it has been tested. Um, so... Uh, that is uh, definitely important um and in general, it's just shown uh that that uh, it's important to test because the cost of of uh downtime in 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 the wind uh farms is just uh, it's it's not so good
0: yeah, we're learning it's billions of dollars at the moment
1: it's bad business I, I want to get
0: into some of the, the technology you have developed because I, I, it's fascinating to me. And I saw the the Belgian efforts uh, at some of the conferences. I think I saw that up in Sweden. Some of the Belgians were there talking about the, the work you were doing for them. And you were building a 25... You have built a 25-megawatt uh, powertrain test bench in Denmark, and then you're building, I think, something similar for Belgium, right?
1: Yeah, so so you can say to some extent. So, yeah, the first one was the one in Denmark, uh, which included this 25-megawatt direct drive uh, motor. So... Yeah, we couldn't find this uh, anywhere in the world, so uh, so we developed uh, internally this dark drive from scratch and did heat runs and tests on prototypes, and uh, so it's uh, thrown around in the air together with the load unit. So that's why uh, we had some difficulties in in just finding a a, a standard product. And besides that, it's uh, it's a quite huge uh,
2: machine, so it's. 16 meter in diameter. The scale of these machines. Like, I'm, I'm, I was looking and I was like, I was, I'm, and I'm squinting at my other screen right now. So anybody that's watching on YouTube, and I was like, those are people? Like, oh my God, how did they build that thing? Like, the, the, the size of the rotors of these things, the first time you ever stand underneath one, even if it's like a GE15, you're like, holy man, look how big this thing is. That's nothing compared to a 10 or 15 megawatt machine. But now you look at these test benches that might be used for a 25 megawatt machine in there. I mean, they're like five houses <laughs> like strung together. Huge.
1: It's a, it's a 20, uh, I think it's around 21 meter high. The, the test bench at, at the uh, linear offshore renewables Center here in Denmark. So it's, it's very huge. And again, it sets uh, the scale as we just talked about that, that. When you need to uh, break or fatigue something, which is already the extreme developments in uh, in the world on wind turbines, then you need to put something in even more extreme on the other side, because otherwise that would just break. So, um, but that's the the very interesting part of this uh, this um, this uh, engineering, uh, you can say. So, so we always need to to. Uh, We come to the edge and we need to uh, move it uh, and uh, develop these new uh, test benches. And they are kind of a prototype, each of them. So we need to make sure they run for the first time. And there's only one shot.
0: (laughs) Blinert Offshore Renewable Center has this 25 megawatt drive stand uh, to evaluate generators and I assume gearboxes and everything else attached to it and the electrical. Uh, output of those generators, right? There's, there's an electrical component to this. It's not just mechanical failure. They're looking at electrical performance.
1: Yes. So you can say it's a, it can run full powertrain. So, included, so you're starting from cut off the rotor. So then you have the first shaft and the main bearing arrangement, a gearbox and the generator, and then the converter system connected to the generator. Then we loop the power you can say between the converter system and our motor. So we only feed in the losses you could say of the system. So making it, let's say also very cost efficient. Um, So we're not utilizing 25 megawatt when we run, only feeding in the losses of the system.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That that's a smart way of doing it. Instead of having a big load bank and trying to get rid of all the heat from that, that'd be a, a massive effort. Get <laughs> yeah. boil the ocean with that. So that does the does that then that technology and the uh, capabilities of the electrical and mechanical parameters vary from OEM to OEM or even gearbox manufacturers. Are they looking for specific kinds of failure modes that they know that they have seen in the past or are they, are they running a full suite of tests to evaluate their components?
1: So you can say, depending on the design, you could have a gear design, you could have a direct drive design where you don't have a gearbox and, and the front shaft and connect the rotor directly to the direct drive generator. You can say interface. Here you have different modes you would like to let's say provoke and try to uh, uh, to push. So so for each design, then the engineering department of each OEM knows we we might have some difficulty in in these regions. So they would maybe try to push these boundaries. But on side of that, you would all always just have a let's say, a trajectory of of loads from field, you would like to transfer into some, let's say, accelerated load, and they will be independent of design. So it's just what you would uh, experience in the field. So all kind of, uh, um, let's say, nominal scenarios where you have a lot of hours, and then extreme scenarios, uh, hurricanes, all kind of wind scenarios where you would... uh, or errors, uh, error, let's say um, setups in your controls, which could could generate some, uh, let's say, uh, very high uh, rotor loads. So if you consider, for instance, there's a pitch in moving, where you suddenly start to uh, let's say pull in the in the in the turbine because of. Uh, Uh, misoriented uh, turbine or something so you need to of course make sure that it will not just break because you didn't expect this
2: uh, uh, scenario to happen you could say so you need to to make sure everything is proper something interesting to me from a conversation we had was the fact that you guys actually we're right now the conversations we're basically focused on hardware this is how electrically we connect things this is how we we test things mechanically We'd build these massive rigs, but you guys also build software for testing as well. And the interesting one for me was the the ability to virtually test against grid issues with the output from a turbine, right? So I, I think that was that was that was an interesting one.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you can say when you have a, a large wind farm uh, and you connect it to the grid, then there are certain, let's say, error. Uh, which could happen on the grid, which could be thrown against such a, a turbine uh, uh, park. And if your software and your control systems and also the electrical hardware does not react in the, in the correct way on these uh, fault drive through and all kind of uh, errors, then you could, let's say, uh, that's like breaking a shaft. Then you could also destroy uh, your wind turbine and... Uh, so, in order to check this, then you uh, are running these grid tests, where we we can we have uh, test systems where we can, uh, let's say, emulate the the grid, and send in these uh, responses to the or, or errors to the to the turbine, and then you check if you react in the correct way on your turbine, and it can handle the the errors. So it's a significant part as well as uh, similar to the mechanical testing, then the electrical is very very important. And for each country you can say, then you have grid codes and you need to comply with those. And for each of these grid codes, then you have different testing scenarios you need to comply with. So this is also something we do uh, here at R&D, these uh, grid emulators.
0: Which is becoming an important part of the uh, sort of the electrification of the world at the moment. You know, in Texas, we've had a couple of situations where the, the stability of the grid has been compromised because the solar, mostly, but a little bit of wind, uh, the the way that the, the turbines and the electrical equipment interact with upsets can be different between manufacturers, and and coming up with standards. And Texas is talking about creating a standard for themselves at the moment that is really critical to catch up front in the design phase of a turbine because doing it post when the turbines are deployed is extremely expensive and it creates a, night- a nightmare.
1: So that's that's really, and you could say we have a, a field here in Denmark where you do, uh, let's say, on-site uh, testing. So a reality test where it's called Öster, um where you run these turbines and then you also connect it to a grid. but. Uh, you need to wait for the right uh, wind conditions and uh, the the right errors uh, to come in. So it takes some time. It's it's still part of the test. But in order to accelerate the test, then you're doing these validation tests in parallel. Um, so um, so then you can run the test over and over again until you have uh, made sure that your your controls are tweaked to the to the right uh, let's say uh, parameters and. All your hardware is is designed correctly, so it's it's a fast way.
2: So that would be like um it, it, okay. So let's 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 dumb it dumb it down for people like me to understand. If we were to say we're building a brand new car, say like a Ford, Chevy, whatever here in the United States, are building a brand new car, and one way to test it would be to hand that car to uh I don't know, one of the engineers and just say, hey, drive it every day for six months and see if anything pops up. Well that's that's a real world test, but that's not an accelerated test. That's not gonna find all the errors. Um, and and in parallel, you have other teams of engineers that have carbon copies of this car and they're out there running it on a racetrack, putting a hundred thousand miles on it, running it in 130 degree weather, putting it in a freeze chamber, bouncing it off of concrete, all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of like the same thing. Ustra would be giving someone that brand new car just to go and just go drive it, see what happens and then the the accelerated test what you guys do is in the background
1: i'm not so much into the details of this part you can say i'm more into the the main test of, of the test benches. you could say but but uh, to my understanding then it's uh, still a necessity to to do the the real life test in order to get approval you could say but this is something that is being worked upon uh, we have uh, people here in r&d who's working in these uh, these uh, organizations to try to, uh, to mitigate some of these, uh, to make it faster to market, you could say. Um, so this is why grid emulation is, is very important to, to do the emulations in reality, uh, but do it in a controlled manner. Um, but also the digital part, you could say, this is also a great focus from, from R&D. So in order to, to test the things, as much you can test on a computer, the better you can say, this is something that will take time and we are working a lot in it, but we are, let's say, um, uh, building on, uh, you could say bricks on top of each other all time. so um, But you can say to, to make it simple, then you, you do these um, uh, hardware in the loop. Um, you can try to imagine uh, 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 um, a of industry where you want to test a motor before it's it's running in the test uh, lab, then you could actually do a emulation. So a computer model of the full motor and then connect it to your controller for, for the motor. And then the controller thinks it's connected to all the sensors and all the inputs. And, and then you do a very, very uh, uh, high level uh, simulation model, which, uh, then uh, predicts a lot of the things happening in the motor. And then you can do a lot of development of on your, let's say, controller prior to going to test. So this is also done in our, so sometimes you cannot put all the test equipment in. So then we do, uh, let's say, part of the test bench or in a digital way and put it, let's say, running in parallel to the test bench so the the turbine is actually think it's connected to all the other kind of uh, let's say subsystems. So then you can uh, verify even more of your your system you could say.
0: That makes that makes complete sense. It sounds like a lot of things that have been happening in aerospace lately to reduce costs is to do simulations emulations of of hardware because it does give you a, a a highly accelerated development cycle and saves saves tons of money. And speaking of development cycles, what's on the docket at the moment? What what are the the new areas you're being asked to look into in terms of test equipment on, on large scale, uh, you know, wind turbine generators, where, where are they driving you to?
1: It goes very fast. You could say with turbines looking uh, just five years, uh, back then, uh, we were talking about like eight megawatt turbines. And now we're talking, uh, 15, 16, 18 megawatt turbines. Uh, so, we we take a, it takes some time to develop a test bench so you can also say in that respect when we need to give a test bench 10 years of or 20 years of service life then we need to really shake the crystal ball and look for what we expect from the future so uh, and then this is uh, it's uh, yeah it it still goes fast you could say without saying uh, a lot so uh, there's a lot of requirements uh, for the future and they are, are still uh, going upwards.
0: So look for bigger generators in our future. That's, that's pretty exciting. And I, I because you have completed a couple of, of test sites and you've, you've you have these 25 megawatt test pitches already in service. What are the, what are the customers saying back to you at this point? They, they got to be thrilled. This is amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. it It, it is amazing. It's it, you, you, if you're just a little bit uh, like big stuff or mechanical engineering or electrical, when you are these sites, uh, just standing behi- beside it, it you've, you're just overwhelmed by uh, it. It's just, it's very impressive. <laughs> you even have people coming out and then where is the test bench? But you need to look up. It's right in front of you because the foundation where <laughs> you were standing in front of it.
0: it's what are those, It's It's from an engineering standpoint it's cool, right? Can we just say that right now? The building big things is cool. Yeah, yeah, it's
2: just cool. Yeah, it's just cool.
0: Forget about Legos for a minute. This, this, this is cool. In Denmark, this is cool. Yeah,
1: you can also feel it from from uh, all the colleagues here in R and D that it's it's just amazing. So you are always brought up with new tests. So now we need to develop this. We need to double the size of this, or we need to, what can we do? But we were already at the limit last time. Yes, but now we need to move it again. So, <laughs> so. but that's very interesting, but it's always based, you can say, on, on very, very, very detailed engineering, uh, because you could imagine that we cannot, uh, we need to make it work the first time. So... That's of course also what it's setting the the difference between us and an OEM. So we we are a little bit more allowed to use uh technology uh which are uh, maybe costing a little bit more because we need to pre- push these limits so we are not bound to serious production <clears throat> where everything needs to be counted down to the to the smallest dollar. So um it's it's uh, we need to make sure it works and our customers are satisfied and they get what they need at the very end and get the, the tested, the equipment out in the field. So that's kind of the essence.
0: Well, the wind ind- industry cannot grow without R&D test systems being out in front. All this new technology we want to have cannot happen unless there's a test bench, equipment, and guidance and knowledge at R&D test systems to make sure that this the new generation of OEM equipment actually works like it's intended to. So for that, we're we're very appreciative, Klaus, of all the work that you guys are doing and and the effort that goes into it. Because when you do see it and when and everybody sees this video, you can go to YouTube and watch the the size of these components we're talking about. It's scary and it's amazing at the same time. So at the wind industry, you know, applauds the work that you guys are doing.
1: It's really nice to be part of this, and it's it's. It's amazing.
0: If a company hasn't used your services, well, I don't know why they haven't, but if they haven't used your services, how do they reach out to R&D test systems and connect with you?
1: To uh, yeah, we have a homepage, so uh, R&D-as.com. Uh, uh, so uh, here you would find uh, a lot of our services uh, and you could say the wind industry is is one portion, so we are also in in aerospace, but you can say the the main portion of our work is going into the wind industry.
0: If you haven't checked out R&D Test Systems LinkedIn page, make sure you do that because there's a lot of cool pictures and technology on their on their LinkedIn page. So check that out also. Klaus, this has been amazing. Thank you for taking the time to spend with Joel and me today. It has we've really learned a lot and we're continually impressed and we'll see you down the road. I'm sure we'll see you at the, the at the next conferences. We're coming we're coming your way pretty soon, so hopefully we cross paths.